forward on my knees. I walk forward on my knees. I walk forward on my knees. Please keep me moving on. Welcome to Walking Forward, the podcast of the Edmiston Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity that brings you local and global kingdom voices to talk about Christian endurance on the margins of today's societies. I am your host, Karen Ellis, and my guest for this episode is Alton Hardy, a pastor from the margins for the margins. And I first met Alton on a vision trip of African-American leaders to the people of Australia. We traveled around the world to learn from the Torres Strait Islander Christians and the Christians who worked among Aboriginal and traditional communities, more people on the margins. And yes, there is an irony to the fact that I had to go all the way to Australia to get to know Alton and his wife personally, considering we really just live a couple of hours from each other. Alton is pastoring a church in Fairfield, Alabama, which is probably best described in two words, hard ground. And while he was planting uh, his church for the last eight or nine years, the city of Fairfield actually declared bankruptcy. And I asked Alton then whether he would stay with the seemingly forgotten people on the margins in Fairfield. And he replied with a shrug, hey, at this point, there's nowhere to go but up. But still, uh, bringing hope to a place like Fairfield is hard. It often feels like its own hostile environment. The last people who want to see a community transform into a people where life and spiritual freedom and restoration and stability and health and human flourishing, the very people who are against that can sometimes be the very community that surrounds them. Crime, drug bosses whose livelihood and cheap dispensable labor depends on keeping people in their control and in their place and in their system. Uh, A criminal justice system that has no interest in rehabilitation a lack of educational and economic opportunities for young people, uh, and a normalcy to violence that often creates insecurity for its older and more stable residents. And here is Urban Hope Fairfield, standing at the crossroads of it all, alongside several parachurch and educational institutions who just refuse to give up on the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform people, their families, and their communities. So let me welcome Alton Hardy to Walking Forward. Welcome, brother. <laughs> Good to be here. Good Thank to you for you. having me. Good to have you. Good to have you. What'd you preach on this past Sunday? Oh, uh, we're in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, uh, verse 17 and verse 18, talked about suffering, the path of suffering to glory. So um, people liked it. It was really um, tied into the current events, um, what's happening with the um, suffering. And I actually talked about suffering. There's a suffering for the gospel's sake as it relates to racial reconciliation. And so I said, um, you need to just kind of buckle down and just kind of set your face like a flint because from here on out, I don't think we're going to ever see that. <laughs> that, that if this is the new normal. Yeah. So and you're going to be slandered. And so we talked about that and, and part of the suffering for the glory that's not worth being compared that we will that God has will is revealing to us in which we will all see and know and experience for all eternity. And so it's part of the part of for me, it's just part of the um, the task ahead of me just and here in Birmingham. Uh, it's um, that's a real um, call to walk in that 
racial um, harmony with my white brothers and sisters where many of my peers may be going the other direction. And so what comes with that is that I'm selling out or whatever the case may be. And I keep saying, I'm not running. I'm going to live out the gospel. And so, and that's, that's the take. And I church kind of, it's kind of feeling that sense of burden too. And, you know, we like, every time there's a racial reconciliation meeting, we're probably one of the only few black churches that will, I mean, we're not really a black church in the sense that we got, you know, diverse people, but because it's just, I mean, being an African-American pastor, I have to kind of take on that leadership. And so, and therefore, a lot of my peers may not answer the call. They won't respond. In fact, we got one coming up this weekend, and that was kind of why I led into my sermon. I had to encourage our congregation to respond to the email because some didn't really want to do it. It's like, Pastor, we're trying to talk about race. I said, I know. And that's part of the fatigue of suffering into what we have to do. So that's uh, people really enjoy that sermon. I think a lot of people probably uh, who aren't familiar with uh, Urban Hope Fairfield, they don't know that your journey to this place and time and to this people has been really long and complex, and it is bound up in um, America's racial history. You were born in Selma, Alabama. Yes. You were a witness to abject poverty and racism yes. as the yeah. son of sharecroppers. You grew up first in rural and then in urban poverty yourself, and then... Yeah. You've had a remarkable transformation of embracing Christ and watching him cut through generations of bitterness and anger and hatred mm -hmm. to return in some ways to the very environment that you came from. So what is it about your story uh, that most informs what you're doing now and the work that your church is doing now? That's a great question, uh, Karen. Um, you know, Selma or Sardis is only like an hour and a half away from my house here in Fairfield. And so I go there often just to reflect, think, and and I drive down those old dusty roads just to try to um, talk to God, pray. And about six months ago, I was down there and I had a, a kind of, a, I don't want to say another epiphany, but I had a um, the last house we stayed at and and I just remember it was in that house in particular, it's just out in the middle of nowhere, the house is no longer there, that I think that's where the dream of Urban Hope was really birthed in my heart because it was in that particular house where I would lay on the ground, look up to the sky and just kind of try to figure out life. Where was God? Who is he? And I asked all of those questions. I think most people ask, you know, who am I? Where do I come from? Is there anyone above that's recognizing and so and urban hope is really was was birthed there out of that little impoverished um no ability to dream and that's why you've heard me talk about this before i had no dream i couldn't see i had no books around me it was it was like um i was here in the world but i didn't exist and that's really now as urban hope as we're planting this church I can see how my past connects to what I'm doing now because really Urban Hope is basically a church plant within a culture where there's poverty, where people really don't have dreams, dreams to see what could be in God is almost like that's just something that doesn't really trans doesn't really happen. So um yeah, so my life really connects to the ministry that I'm doing. And so yeah, I, I, and I see that all the time. 
and experiencing poverty. But I people also ask me, you know, Pastor Hardy, what was what is the greatest poverty that I've experienced? And I would tell you, Karen, it is really it was it was the mental, it was the um, it's hard for people to conceptualize this. Uh, I couldn't dream. It was, it was, um, let alone understand the image of God, the Omago day. I just couldn't, I had no dreams and it was like no aspirations. And that was the greatest form of poverty. I didn't know who I was. And so death could have been easy for me. And so I had a lot of suicidal thoughts because I had no dream. I had no ability to understand myself, my life, and the surrounding circumstances that I was that I that I, I saw. And so <clears throat> people think about poverty as always being physical. That didn't come until later that I realized I had physical poverty. But the greatest poverty I had, I had no ability to realize that I was a fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator. And that right there drove everything else in my life. So that is probably a huge part of how you disciple young men yes. and young women into um, understanding who God has made them to be and who Christ is. You know, yes. who do you say that I am is the most important question, yes. right? Because yes. well, we can understand ourselves rightly uh, once we understand who he is. Yes. Uh, and then yes. that, that has to have lots of obstacles, but you're seeing actually New Testament kind of life in Fairfield. And yes. so just, I want, just want you to unpack for me a little bit what has surprised you, what has delighted you, what has challenged you about how, how the, the unique way that the Holy Spirit is moving in Fairfield. Can anything think, good um, come from Fairfield, right? <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, you know, to... Over this last year, what's been uniquely uh, amazing for me is just to be all, just to be real vulnerable. You know, I have tried my best not to be the leader of something. This prayer is my best. I feel better when I'm hiding behind some other leader and I'm off to the side, <laughs> and I'm kind of like cheering from the sidelines. But God has been so, um, so, uh, so intentional with me because he knows me. He knows that some of my Sardis, Selma thinking comes up. And, it, it, and so I said, well, I don't, I don't have this. I didn't go the traditional route. I didn't go all through all the seminary stuff. You know, I, it's just so I'm like, I don't want to really put myself out there in a situation where I feel like I'm the de facto leader. So I've been trying not to do, and a lot of people don't know that. And so, but God made it as clear as he could make it, Karen, over this last year with the George Floyd, that all of what he had allowed me to go through to experience for such a time as this was our call. And so it's, in fact, every time I've tried to get another leader to step into the place, it has not gone through. So God says, you can keep trying if you want to. <laughs> I'm not going to let it happen. So, and so therefore, um, you need to step into it. And so that's been just the amazing thing. And, and this is what's been even more amazing. A lot of the white Christians who here in Birmingham, they say, Alton, when you speak, 
and when you share your stories, you just have no idea how this is hitting us. And it's finally dawned on me in the last six months. And I had someone say this to me a long time ago. I'm a big guy. And the person said, your story about what you went through in your family and the race stuff, it helps us really see how race in the Jim Crow really did stain not only us, but, but blacks as well. And, and, and part of what, and, and I almost saw, so the, one of the amazing things is how God is really, um, is using a story that's transpiring my life to really be a part of this healing, um, gospel healing. And I don't, I don't really speak about it with hostility or anything like that. And people are just like, people just know, man, this is God. And so that's first and one of the amazing things. And then he's using me. And when I've tried to get away from it and tried to hide from it, and he's like, no, this is this is now, this is why I have you in Birmingham. So in that, Karen, um, what are some of the things God is doing? I mean, just, I remember the Lord saying, just preach the gospel, stay with it. And so our church is growing like crazy. All these whites are coming now. And it's like on a Sunday night looking last night, it's like, we're here in poor, abandoned, bankrupt city Fairfield in a building, a church that's not our own. And you just see this black and white, young men, hood dudes, <laughs> middle class. We got lawyers, we got doctors coming, and this kid from Sardis. <laughs> and and I, I sometimes I have to hold back tears because I have to, wow, I, I, I know I didn't do this. How did this happen? And, and you know, how did how did I get here? How did God get me from the back? You know, you know, I've talked to you about my stuttering. So I'm, I'm constantly like, God, you are just, this is like, sometimes I have my moments where I'm preaching, <laughs> where it's just, I'm just, and then I'm preaching about you, we can do it. We can, we can, we're going to bring change to Fairfield. We're in the process of building this nice building that will be the anchor to Fairfield. And it just so happens it's gonna be a church called Urban Hope that will be the first building built in Fairfield in probably over 50 years, other than Restoration Academy across the street that will be for the community. And God has got his hands all over it. And it stands for hope and blacks. People are asking me, how's this happening? How are you getting this money? And I said, I don't know. And so, it's, 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 it, 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 you got that, and you got, you know, we got a young men. Um, we do an African American men meeting on Wednesday nights, and we just restarted back here, and it's been just tears, lament, and just we're dealing with fatherlessness, and you could just see, man, that's the greatest pain, and that's one of the, my greatest pains outside the, the racial stuff that happened to me. I would tell you, fatherlessness was my greatest pain. The greatest wound I've, that I have gone through is I'm 54. It's been fatherlessness. I don't want to weep. I, you know, you know, Rome. You asked me what I was preaching on last week. Um, people said, "Man, couldn't nobody have preached that sermon like that?" Abba Father, and I talked about how the Spirit 
works overtime. He worked overtime to convince me a guy that I couldn't see. I want to I want to start crying. A guy that I couldn't see, because that was part of what was going on in Sardis, that fatherlessness. So, and this, I don't think people understand this, Ken. This is, um, there's something about an earthly father that paints this reality of an unseen God that loves you, but you can't see it. And so I didn't have any of that. So it, I was over about 30 before that finally clicked for me. I mean, it, it was, I was, I mean, I was so, I was so marred. I was so broken. And um, I actually think my stuttering really came from my fatherlessness um, because I didn't have a lot of confidence. I mean, I was messed up. I, 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 and that's what's going on. When I'm in front of people like Fairfield, this reality of hopelessness was there in my life. But, but now at 54, you can sense and feel and, and know from my facial expression this hope that I have that's in Jesus. It's not, it's not a mental thing. You can, you, can, you can see it coming off of my words and my facial expressions. And so that is being communicated through the, through the Spirit of God in Fairfield to hopeless young men and women who are coming from situations that I've come from. And it's also bringing in those who've not come from that, and they're just lamenting and working with us as we bring the gospel to Fairfield. Mm. That's the amazing thing that I'm that I'm I'm bearing witness to with my own eyes. And if you would ask me, Pastor Hardy, what, did I ever see this coming like this? No, I didn't. I didn't see it coming. And so it's giving hope to so many people. People said, "Man, if God can do that with him, then He can do that with me." And so that's that's really the amazing thing that's happening. So and then, you, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, here you are, leading from yes. the wounds, <laughs> right? <laughs> the wounds, the wounds of racial animosity. Yes. yes. The wounds of the system, the sharecropping system that destroyed your father, yes. destroyed his ability to be a father to you. Yes. And now. Here you are being vulnerable about those wounds and people responding to it saying, hey, me too, and preaching the gospel. All these things that actually our culture is telling us, don't dwell on that. Yes. <laughs> don't, yes. Fatherlessness, that's not the biggest problem, right? Um, don't, don't, uh, so what actually what you're doing, what God is doing through you, it's not something you're doing, it's something that he's doing that's completely not just countercultural, it's other cultural. Yes. It's completely yes. other cultural based on the power of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ applied to the wounds that the yes. culture has, has given you. Yes. And then pouring that. Now, who does that sound like? <laughs> you know? It's the principle of the cross, right? Yes. Um, it's, 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 it's really stunning to me that you're experiencing um, on the margins in America you're experiencing very similar things that we see on the margins of the church around the church on the margins or in societies yes. around the world, like, you know, first century New Testament kind of movement, people being broken and healed in yes. profound ways. Uh, and I, I know that your hope is that it'll change the culture of Fairfield from the inside out. Yes. Uh, yes. It's it's a yes. different way of working than changing legislation yes. and changing policy, which has its value. 
Yes. Uh, yes. But it's a, it's a very different headspace and a different way of working. What yes. is it do you think about the Holy Spirit on the margins, the way he works, he moves so powerfully through the weak, through the unlikely, um, in your particular space, off the radar, doesn't want celebrity, yeah. resists it at all costs. <laughs> what is it about you know, the Holy Spirit you, you, you in that space? This stuff. <laughs> you know, and, and that was part of this last year. God just reminded me, because I said, well, God, I don't have that. I don't have what in front of my name. I should, I'm just this kid from Sardis. And and this is what's so amazing. And, and this is a humbling thing. And, and I see all these whites gathering around me. I'm talking about multimillionaires. I'm like, how? And so in that, God really does take the foolish things, the despised, the rejected, the debased, the broken, the poor of this world, and he does his God stuff with them. It's And someone asked about six months ago, a year ago, what's attracting people to this building I mean, you even came to our building that we're using now. Can you was like, man, you think you've gone back into the 1700s? I mean, it's just it was bare bones. Horrible. <laughs> so yeah. there's no there's no aesthetics. That was I like, think the day I was there, y'all didn't have electricity. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, what's the attraction? It's not the beauty of the building. The sound system is horrible. So what's the attraction? Why are people driving from 30, 40 minutes from over the mountain to come to a church at five o'clock in the afternoon? Yeah. Let me, and you let me... can only say, it's what you see. And this is what God is trying to tell the church. It's not in that. Mm. It's not in the microphone. Mm. Nothing mm. wrong with a nice microphone. So we're not downing <laughs> excellence and great sound. But it's not in those things within themselves yeah. that attracts the triune God hmm. to a broken people on the outside, on the outskirts of society. Yeah. And you know this in Hebrew, and Jesus goes outside of the camp. Yeah. Those fatherless, they don't have all the right clothing and everything. And man, that is something that God has just really burdened my heart with more. It didn't take all of that. Yeah. And it's, I, go it's, ahead. it's also surprising and not surprising, but it's 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 I think it's of note that it's not like this is something that Urban Hope Fairfield was striving to be. No, it's just it's just it's not like you created this. You know, it's like, no. let's create a broken down strip down space for that authentic feel. It's not that. No, this is just you. The Lord called you to pray. Yes. OK, let me catch people up. Uh, you started holding prayer gatherings in a building that was an old dollar store. Yeah, Party had... Town, they called it. <laughs> Party Town, okay. So it's a warehouse. And yes. rather than, because the Lord called you to pray, rather than waiting until you had all the right amenities to look like a church, you said, okay, Lord, if you say pray, we're going to pray. And y'all yeah. basically swept the rubble to the yeah. side. <laughs> 
<laughs> to the edges, rented some chairs, and uh, got a couple of generators because you didn't have no electricity. And it was hot yeah. that day I came. Yeah. Uh, and it reminded me in a lot, and that I think, you know, it wasn't full, it wasn't a prayer meeting full of huge signs and wonders. It was, uh, it, the, the miracle was that that many people, like two or 300 people showed up out of nowhere to sit in a baking room, yeah. a baking warehouse, because it was like, a, it was like 95 degrees outside. It had to have been 105 inside, right? And so we're all socially distant and we just, you know, went to prayer and yes. trusted God. And it wasn't any big whoop, wasn't any big um, manifestations, you know, it was, it was just, the miracle was that people came to pray, people yes. of all stripes. Uh, and you've continued to have these meetings um, yes. and trusting the Lord for kingdom fruit and kingdom advance out of them and just in your faithfulness. But it reminded me when I was there, I was taking it all in and it reminded me of a time when I was in, um, I was in uh, East Africa uh, in a, a space with beautiful saints who just, they came to worship, dirt floor, um, corrugated tin roof, mm. and that place became a tabernacle. It was probably wow. the most amazing, uh, God decorated it with his presence, yes. which far surpassed yes. anything yes. else that I could have wanted yes. to look at. He, he, he peopled it with his people, and he decorated it with his presence. And it really, it taught me, it's, it's just, I keep having these experiences um, of folks, uh, you know, the unseen on the margins, where God yes. just really visits them in very unique uh, yes. and precious ways. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you said, we never set out to try to create this. And one thing I know I've been warned by God in this, people are going to ask, well, what's the secret or what's the, what's the, um, the formula? How do you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, how could we let, recreate, recreate this? It's like, you can't. Already know it's and I, I'm already getting asked that question. It's like, um, prayer, pray. Yes. Yeah. Um, trusting God to be God and not trying to go the way of, uh, the American marketing system of religion, Christianity, just trust God and be faithful to the gospel. If that's, if there's a, a way to do it, just those words back to what the word of God has told us from the very beginning. So that's another thing too. I've never set out to build a big church. I've only aimed to do discipleship. And I kept saying, we're not taking shortcuts. I said it all the time. And People, well, you and this is this this is really important to talk about, because in a city like Fairfield, there are a lot of physical needs, a lot of material needs, and working among the urban poor, any kind of poor, in 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 our Western Hemisphere, what typically happens is you can easily default by not even trying, you can easily default to a a a deeds only ministry to the poor, where you're meeting their physical needs in some way. And you never address their spiritual needs. That's for the people who, who, who got the education or whatever. For 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 her, the single mom of five, you just you just meet her physical needs, and then somehow, osmosisly, she's just going to become a transformed soul. And so I have pushed back with all of my might not to go that way. And we say we are going to do them both at the same time, and that's. 
is one of the takeaways I want people hearing this video, hearing this talk. Man, we preach. I mean, people say we have never. I hear this all the time. We've never heard this. We've never heard the blueprint of marriage and the family the way that we teach it. And this is the missing link in our inner cities. We hear a lot of stuff, but no one is talking about what Jesus thinks about the family and how he 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 wants it to go. And so we talk about marriage. We talk about why that's the best way. It's not, okay, you can just try and see if you like it, but then if you don't like it, you can go back to your way. No, this is the way. And, and I mean, I've seen young girls cry in my presence. Like, Pastor, this is hard. Single moms, man, I haven't met a single mom yet that celebrates that lifestyle. That is not something that single moms that I've come in contact with want. And the young people and the young men that we're striving and we're trying to help them get fatherly healing from the wounds that they're carrying because their dads were never there. And I said, I asked the guys two weeks ago, I said, would you want this your kids to experience? And they said, no. We're struggling. And one guy, um, he's from Tuscaloosa, Karen. He was in a room, big, tall, black guy, about 6'4". And, and we were just asking how you guys were feeling. And he said, man, you're the first man that I've ever seen that come from an environment like this that has come back to it and I have access to it. He said, typically guys like you, you come in, do a talk, but you don't live, you don't do life, we don't see you. So it's a, it's like a like a football like a football player who comes from the inner city. He comes in, and gives a speech, but everyone knows he doesn't live there. And this guy was he was tears running out of his face. He's like, we've just I just never seen that. He said, man, I don't know how to do anything. And and so um, that's why we we preach the word of God. The blueprint, we call it the blueprint of God into these communities. And when I'm hearing, when I'm seeing people say, well, this is not, has not been done. And there are lots of charitable organizations that come in, you know, give food away and this and things like that. But there's no one who's intentionally trying to disciple people, both from the spiritual and in the physical and in the mental, out of what we call Egypt to the mindset of God living it out in the promised land where we live out who God has called us to be. That's the whole concept of urban hope and the spiritual formation. From the Egypt where Pharaoh, the God of this world has blinded you, we're groaning and sin and the weight of sin and all of that, but God comes through his gospel and we're bringing that truth of God's word. And you asked the question earlier, what's been amazing? How true God's word is, Karen. And how true it is when God backs it up. <laughs> and that, and I don't have the best sound system. I don't have the best worship and praise band. I don't have the best lighting. It's just God's word on the margins doing what it has always done for 2,000 years. Changing hearts, transforming people, and bringing them from darkness to light. That has been the amazing thing. I said, man, how come we don't just, everybody just don't do this? I don't know. Because <laughs> we're distractible. <laughs> it's true, though. Maybe right? that's why you're telling the story. That's right. We'll go back to this. Yeah. And and so, and because you're on the margins, and you don't, you can't compete with all of the marketing of how we go about doing church, so you just have to depend on God. 
And when you depend on God, God shows up. And he's like, wow, this really does work when you just stand on the word of God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. God really is God. Mm-hmm. And I get to see that all the time. You no, know, when I first got here, somebody said, man, you won't last eight, you won't last a year. PCA church plant in the city. First of all, we never really seen that. Head about a black guy. And here's it eight years later, and it's thriving. And people are like, I said, well, I guess. <laughs> I told one guy, I guess you were, <laughs> you forgot how powerful God is. <laughs> and how big he is. Yeah. And how majestic. He is. It's so beautiful. I've heard you. I've heard you mention uh, many times. I think every time we chat, you mention the manifold witness of God. Yes. What is that? Well, when I was in Grand Rapids, um, this Grand is Rapids, Michigan, sto- mm-hmm. Michigan, mm-hmm. my story, I was starting to become more aware that my story line was not the typical storyline that Sardis, poverty, sharecropper, racial, and even within my own family, I've had these racial hostilities that came up, came to me, but that's not true of my whole family. So, so God, even in that, this really hit me about two months ago. I said, I've never really lived around my family. Do you not know from when I moved from Selma to Louisville to Grand Rapids, Michigan, the only time I was around most of my family was in Louisville, which I was only there for about four years. And then I moved to Grand Rapids. And once I moved to Grand Rapids, where I was for 35 plus years, I have never been around my family that much. They all live in Buffalo. They all live together. And it hit me two months ago, coming home from one of those prayer things, I said, Wow. God, you just kind of had me on the outskirts <laughs> within my own biological family in many ways. So back to the manifold. So in that, Grand Rapids, I'm in a, a church of about 3,000, a church that was trying to do racial reconciliation and social justice. And I was in this church, this is where I'm learning how to speak to white people. And, and I don't tell that story enough because it's so far from me now. But Karen, you gotta look, you guys look at me. I didn't know how marred I was until I got among white people. That's where it really hit home. And I tell that story, I think I've told you before. So this is so I gotta set this manifold up. Because it was at this church where all of the Sardis, but more than just the Sardis, all of those deep-seated stereotypes that that have been been on me, and it's on a lot of people. I see it all the time. I see it in Fairfield all the time. I see it among white and black. It's just, even though we could be Christians. But this, this this gospel is just off limits to this part of us. Well, I'm black, they're white. We all just kind of take our place. That's what I was saying. I'm not running anymore. It's like I'm something that's like, you're going to just sit over here and play your role and just pretend like Jesus never say anything about any of this. 
So in, in Grand Rapids, I had to deal with that. When I was being asked to preach to white people, I'm like, God, I can't do it. Why can't you do it? Well, I would probably go like this. Well, you gave me this steer. I don't know what I was saying, but I was saying, you know. <laughs> then God said, I remember, gosh, I saw you taking those baths and those Clorox. See, the Holy Spirit is real. He'll start bringing stuff. I said, yeah, I did. You should do that. But why was I doing it? Well, obviously, you didn't like the color I gave you. <laughs> you try to help yourself out. <laughs> so something for all these white people. And I thought I knew the gospel. And I did, but I, but I was, but I had come to a place in my life where the gospel just hadn't broke through yet into that, into that, what I call that a marvel day as God saw it. So, and I'm going through this. God is teaching me who I am, and help me read Genesis 1:26, 27, 28 for three years. and said you read it every day until I tell you to stop. <laughs> Because I had to be, I had to know who I was. You and I saw this when we went to Australia. See, you can preach on this. If you take Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28, what do you tell them Australian people? Because they are aboriginals. They just, because they've been told for generations by the science. And what if they cut that out of the Bible? <laughs> Say, don't use that Old Testament verse. <laughs> you just, and, and, and so God had to help me. So in this, here's the manifold. It was a buildup of realizing who I am. And then I'm realizing how much of the church was just basically what I would call when it came to race, we are terrified, we're, we are broken down, we're just kind of not really living out all of what God has come to do in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you text us in Ephesians chapter three. And, and for me personally, my whole life I've been told who and what I could do, who I could be around and who I couldn't be around. So it's just almost, never mind what Jesus said in John 17, it's just this pushing this, these forces of darkness and I was living it out. Don't trust whites. Don't, I mean, it's just, it has never stopped. And it's even more so now. And so in the process of just life, and I remember one day I was crying. I said, Lord, I said, um, you know, I love you, but, and I had love for meeting Karen or black pastors. And I was at this church and I was just young. I was just trying to be a servant of God. I wasn't trying to, I'll never forget in that meeting, all the black pastors was like, you know, Alton, um, you need to be very careful. I said, okay, why? Well, he's a white guy and he's going to hurt you in the end. I said, well, he loves God just like I do. And the guy said, yeah, but he's a white guy. I remember that he was a pretty well-known pastor in Grand Rapids. He kept saying that. And all the other guys, they're in their suits, they're around the table. They're kind of like the, the, the bishops, meeting of the bishops. And, um, and they said, they're going to hurt you. And I never forget what he said. He, said. he says, you believe that God can do that on this side? I said, yes. Alton, that will never happen on this side. And I looked at this pastor. He was very, he was a Baptist guy. He was very prominent in our city. I said, but Jesus says this. Yeah, that's Jesus saying it, but. <laughs> and so, Ken, I left that meeting. I went 
because I had a meeting every Thursday with my pastor. He was a white guy. And they were talking about him. They were saying, he going to hurt you. We know him. We don't know why you're over there anyway. You need to come on home and just be among us. And I'm telling you, Karen, it all, it, it just, everything in me was just like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I went somewhere with it. And I came and met with the pastor that I was meeting with. And I had a Bible in my hand. And I walked in his office and I was crying so hard. And I threw the Bible down on the floor. I said, did we, anybody believe this? Am I being fool? Am I being bamboozled? Because everywhere I go, it's almost like this. These forces that keep telling me, they keep telling me that Jesus is a farce. I was just, I was screwed up. I don't, and I'm like, man, I'm so tired of just these restrictions. And I kind of just went into a depression. I just like, I don't want to preach on racism no more. I was done with it. I was just like, I don't care, God. Just I was like, can you just take me home? I got into that mindset again. I just want to go home and be with you. And and God knew where I was. And um, and I had to preach at this church. The church kind of got used to my preaching where they said, well, we'll assign a text to you, my pastor. He said, we just let you go up on your up on your mountaintop and pray and come back and tell them what God has put on your heart. <laughs> and that's when I was trying to read the Bible. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to preach on? And I always do that still to this day. I always inquire. I never, I never, I've hardly ever preached a sermon twice. I've always inquired. And so... I was inquiring, God, I don't know what you want me to say. So I was reading Ephesians 2, but I knew what Ephesians 2, I preached that quite a bit. And, and so I was in my back room on my face. I was I was, I was, I was, I was on the floor. <laughs> I started reading Ephesians 3. Now I knew I had read it before, but it's like God pulled me back here. I mean, he literally just pulled me back into uh, John the, on the Lord's day. I don't know, I ain't had it like that, but I had like, God said, I want to show you something. Pull me back. And he just showed me the grand plan for the church for all the ages. The Jew and that Gentile, which he says in that chapter, which he kept hidden from the past, but now it has been made. And Karen, I started weeping so hard. I was, I was, I was wailing. And God says, as I was reading it, it's almost like God just had catapulted me into just seeing his heart. And I got to verse 10, and it's through the church. Oh, my God, man. That manifold wisdom, the many variations of God's grace to the people from every tongue and tribe made known to the powers. It's like God says, this is what I did. And, and God said, this is your verse. This is your assignment. You don't preach anything with this. And uh, I came back and I preached that sermon for the first time at the church I was cared. People hit the floor. Rich, white man, professors from Calvin College, Calvin Seminary. People started, it was like a revival broke out. <laughs> it was like, this is from God. It's like, it was, <laughs> people were like, 
we had three services, so it was about 3,000 member church, 3,500. And so you have about 800 per service. The services start running over into the next services because we couldn't get out in time. Folks want to talk to me. So just on that day, revival broke out. And, and I said, gosh, he's going to do the manifold in our generation. This is, this is the generation he's been waiting for. And I thought it was going to take place in Grand Rapids. That's where I was. Had never thought about Birmingham. And now hmm. I'm in Birmingham. Hmm. And God said, oh, you thought I was going to give you an easy pit. <laughs> Nah, God. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, he brought me to the he yeah. brought me to the Mecca. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's so you gotta understand. So these prayer things that were happening here in Birmingham and Fairfield, the last one we just had had about a hundred people. And let me tell you some of the things that are coming out of these prayers. People are lamenting. One lady lamented, she said, I was a little girl at a Baptist church. My daddy and my uncles are all in the ministry or whatever. And she was in the circle and she started talking about how she never understood why they stood at the door with guns forbidding blacks to come in. And she had been carrying this her whole life. I'm telling you, man, God's doing some amazing things. Mm. And, 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 and as I'm up there praying, and then I did last time I did Romans, God gave me Romans 12, 1 and 2. And God, and I just told them, I said, there was a period of time in America that the church was conformed to the present age. Jim Crow was anti, anti-federal to the heart of the gospel. Yeah. And I said, we're here in Birmingham. This is this is ground zero. I said. We just gotta lament and we gotta confess. We it conform. Man, when people started crying, when people started repenting, caring. Now we have to stop them from praying because and this is what happened in the prayer. I was trying to use other people to talk the day you was there. God said, No, you by yourself up there with a mic <laughs> leading this prayer. And that was very difficult for me to do. And so now what's happening, people are like praying, people are confessing. And it's and it's happening the way that God wanted it to happen, and I was just like, "Wow, God!" And so, and and, and so, God, look, I'm doing the manifold, and so it's now it's just it's it's like you can you can you can feel it. it's like an avalanche. It's building. It's it, people, you know. And this is what I was telling you. I mean, I can show you the emails and the text here. I mean, and Sandra always say to me, "Is there something about you?" White people always repenting and confessing their sins of racism. <laughs> You know what it is, is you said it. When they hear the story, and the lady said it to me, and she says, to hear you talk, and all I see come from you is love and the gospel. What else can I do? I just confess up. And so that's what God is doing, my sister. And so the manifold is God's taking the church, his people from every tongue and tribe. And he said, I'm going to show the world. I'm going to show the powers that be that through the gospel. And now this is not why God put me in the PCA. This is the important part. Not just you, you know the backstory, but but in that text here, 
as Paul is building up to verse 10, he's using the word grace about five times. Grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. I was made an apostle by the grace of God. I was able to see this, this great unfolding plan of God by the grace of God. It's all of grace. It's nothing of Paul says, I work my way to find this stuff out. God, by his grace, has revealed it to me. And the Gentiles are being saved by the grace of God. The Jews, it's all the work of grace. It's not of ourselves, which Ephesians, what we call the queen epistle. Paul goes all the way back to one, chapter one, where it goes back in eternity past. God has chosen a people. Now, I know people have a hard time with that, but he builds it up. And so when I am standing in front of these people, I say, man, how did I get here? Can't I am overwhelmed by mm. grace. Mm. Mm. And only with a reformed worldview and understanding that shows up in our chapter three of our Westminster Confessions of Faith about those eternal decrees of God. Mm. I just, I'm in awe. Mm. And as I preach this stuff, man, people are just like, yeah, only grace people melted in the heart of hearts can they live out the manifold. Mm. You cannot live out the manifold mm. with any desire of I am what I am because of my own whatever. You, yeah. It can't be done. Yeah, And that's what's behind this 6-4 guy mm. is grace-filled heart that I am what I am. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Take my tithe, Pastor. <laughs> Take my tithe. All right, I'm going to ask you to pray us out from the margins. Okay. Okay. Um, Father, thank you so much for uh, this discussion that we have had about a church on the margins and not only in Fairfield, but all over the world, you are calling people um, who are small in the eyes of the world, that are rejected, that are despised, that are poor. But Lord, you've told us it's in those kinds of demographics, those, those kinds of situations where your power is made strong, your grace is, is poured out. Uh, bountifully. And so, Father, I don't know who's going to hear this, but I pray that every person who watches and who hears, who sees, Lord, I pray that this story that you've allowed for me to share, just a, just a snippet of what you are doing in this little city called Fairfield outside of Birmingham, Alabama. I pray that those women and men who watch and hear, that their hearts would be encouraged to pray, to trust your word, just for your word, and that you will be glorified from all these things. We thank you for it now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alton. I appreciate uh, you. Appreciate it. This is Walking Bye. Forward, a podcast of the Edmiston Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity. Walking Forward is sponsored by Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta, where the Edmiston Center makes her home. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time as we walk forward on our knees. Keep it moving on.